hey, it is St. Patrick's Day. That's the green. And this morning we're gonna we're gonna be finishing off, or we're gonna finally get to begin our our study through the book of Colossians. And so, um, you know, it's just gonna be. I'm excited about the the depth and the wonderful things that I'm finding as I'm going through the book and reading and and praying and you, we could go really slow we're not I, we're not going to take that approach but we're going to go through it this morning just begin to read and, and point out some different things as we go but being as as you're going to the book of Colossians which by the end will be real easy to find because your Bible just begin to open up to it after a while um, talk a little bit about St. Patrick because there's some some tie-ins but just so we know um, St. Patrick was a real person he was born in the late 4th century, about 386, 387 A.D. And he lived, um, well, there is some mystery surrounding him, actually. And uh, some, some of that is that he lived all the way to be 120 years old. Most scholars don't believe that he made it that long. Um, there was a lot of debate that, that, that said he died in 493. Most have said that he probably died about 460, 461 A.D. And he was known as, as the apostle to Ireland. And so if you go and study the history, it's, it's all there. And, and, and there's even confusion of whether in some of the stories that you've heard that they blended two different people and came out with one. And that's, that's actually another common thing. But the, the, what we do know of St. Patrick is that he was, was a British citizen. He was born un, under Britain. His exact place of birth was even unknown. But at the age of 16, um, slave traders or pirates came in and they kidnapped him. And they took him to Ireland, where he spent six years as a slave in Ireland. And that's, and that's, how, he became, uh, that's how he became Irish. St. Patrick is not Irish. That's the first thing we go, wait a second. I mean, this is all about, you know, being Irish. And Patrick was not. He was, he was English, uh, most likely. And he got taken as a slave over to Ireland. And he spent six years there. And he would watch the shepherds. So he had freedom. He, he, would, he was in charge of the sheep. And he would sit out on the hills. Now, his father and his grandfather, his family were Christian. But his faith was, was really not established at home. When he up till 16, he wasn't the most Christian of young men, but he found his faith. He found the Lord actually while he was a slave in Ireland, and, and he began to pray and find the Lord and find faith, praying up to a hundred times a day. He would just be in constant prayer, and after the six years, he saw a vision. He was he was there and and caring for the sheep, and he saw a vision that. His freedom was waiting, and that if he would go to the, to the sea, that there would be a ship waiting for him. And the sea was 200 miles away. And so he left toward the sea, and when he got there, there was a ship waiting for him that took him back to England, and he was reunited with his family. And after some time being in England, he, he saw another vision, and he saw a vision of people standing on the coast of Ireland saying, Patrick, come back to us. Come back to us. He began his formal training in, in ministry. And after his ordination, he went back to the land of Ireland where he spent many years ministering. And he would, he would go and, and live, within the, live with the people and minister the gospel of Jesus Christ. He is a real person. He was, he, he was dedicated to the things of God, to seeing people 
get saved. And there was some controversy in his life. Uh, he was accused of doing it for the money. If you, if you go, you might even find some of those things. We believe he was imprisoned a, a couple of times, but he was accused and possibly being a, accused of doing it for the money. So he, And he had apparently received some gifts and some monetary things. So he gave everything back and said, no, this isn't that. That's not what it's about. And he served the Lord. And uh, even as we go in this morning and, and continue our journey in Colossians, we see the same thing with Paul. We see it with Epaphras that need to go into your place and serve the Lord and, and give everything that you have. And that's what Patrick did. That's, that was a, the, the Catholic Church, you know, did the, the sainthood. And, and I'm not even sure on that, but, but, you know, the Catholic Church puts upon people sainthood. And I'm not sure what his things, because there had to be some miracles in order to be a saint, I believe. But, but for us, this is what the great thing about Protestantism, if, if you will, Christianity, is we're all saints. We're all saints. And so pa Patrick is a saint in, in that sense, as well as he's a Catholic saint. But he really had a love for God, and he brought the gospel and um, and so I just thought we'd just give a quick kind of background on what St. Patrick's Day. There's a lot of uh, legends that came out. Some of the things you've heard, they're, they're legends because uh, Ireland at the time was was um, full. There was a, They would tell their stories. They wouldn't write them down. And so the stories would always get bigger and bigger and bigger. So there's a lot of legends and stories about Patrick. They're kind of fun to read. Um, but these are the things that we know are true. And most of the other things, I'm sure, are not. And... I don't think he ever did find the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow either, except uh, he's walking on the streets of gold now. And that is, the best, uh, that is the best treasure that anyone can have. And we'll talk a little bit about that in Colossians. So here we go. Get right into it. Father, thank you for our beginning journey in the book of Colossians. And there are so many things in here, Lord. I just pray that you'd bring them up and and encourage us to get into your word more individually, to read the Bible with a freshness, to go slower and to learn more of you, even as we, we do this this morning, that it would go off into our lives and cause a freshness in the reading of the word. Bless us this morning with your presence and more understanding and insight into who you are and what you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I think it's three weeks ago, we gave a really, really quick overview of the book of Colossians. I'm just going to hit a few key points, and then we're going to go on into the first chapter. Um, Colossae was a, a town about 100 miles east of Ephesus. Now, the Apostle Paul wrote the book of Colossians. He never visited the city, but he did spend three years in Ephesus. During his time in Ephesus is probably when Paul met a guy named Epaphras. Epaphras came... And, and probably got saved directly under the teaching of Paul. This would have been in the mid-50s uh, A.D. And then went back, apparently, to Colossae from Ephesus. And didn't just preach the gospel. He was changed. He, he found, as we're going to read, he found grace. He found hope. He found the risen Christ in the teaching of Paul. And so he went back to Colossae and didn't just share Christ, but apparently he taught and discipled the believers in Colossae. And judging from the time of the writing, when, when Epaphras had come back to visit Paul, Epaphras may have been at home teaching and working with the church there, 
which was, was probably meeting in the house of Philemon. If you go to the book of Philemon, there was a house church. He was also from Colossae. So it's really, it's likely that that was the house church. And so he was not just bringing the gospel, but he was teaching the, the fundamentals and teaching about the grace of God. And so at the time of the writing, um, Paul is, is back, he's in prison and, and he's, he's writing to the, the, to the church in Colossae. Now, what was happening in that area at the time? There was a reason that he wrote, and part of this is that there was a mixture, a syncretism, if, if you will, of religions being taught. And that's really kind of the way we live today. We talked about coexist. All these people saying, can't we just mix a little bit of this and mix a little bit of that? Can't we all just get along? And they were building their own religion, which was built out of um, some Greek philosophy, Eastern mysticism, some Christian truths thrown in there, a little bit of Jewish legalism, you know, asceticism. They, they, they were talking about the dietary laws and living according to certain, uh, uh, living to certain laws and ways so that they could reach spiritual perfection. And that's the doctrine that was coming against the Christian church. And so that's the background on what was happening and why Paul was writing. Now, the church at Colossae, we're going to see right away, they're saved. They're saved. So let's go ahead and we're going to just read. We're going to probably get to maybe verse 11, maybe all the way up to 13 today. And wherever we stop, we'll just pick up again in the coming weeks. It says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. First, just real quick, I want to see, you know, Paul here, he's saying, I'm Paul, but I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ. He's actually putting down his authority. He's not just saying, you know, I'm just some guy. I'm an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. So listen to what I have to say. What I have to say to you is from God. And it's not my will that I'm an apostle, it's God's will. I believe as Christians, we need to stand up in the authority that God gives us more often than we do, instead of shrinking back and saying, you know, maybe, 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 and say, you know, God says, be strong in what the Lord says, love people strongly, but also be able to teach the word boldly and saying, wrong, a disciple of Jesus, a saint of God says that God loves you so much that he sent his only son and there is no other salvation anywhere and step up in boldness following the example of Paul. So he's writing that saying, listen up church, this is not just my will, this is God's will for you. And uh, Timothy also was, was he, he's there with Paul and Timothy had a, a, a good reputation in Asia. Verse 2 says, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are in Colossae. The church, they were saints. They were faithful brethren. He's not writing hoping that they're going to get saved or hoping they're going to get completed. They are in the faith. But he's writing to them to help them to stay away from this wrong teaching and to continue on. He says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, this morning we receive that. We need your grace and we thank you. God, we need your peace. We receive peace, God. Right now I pray peace. I pray peace right now into every troubled heart in this room. Not peace of the world, but the peace of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, upon every heart and upon every mind. In Jesus' name. In verse 3, it says, this is the beginning here. It says, we give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. 
since we heard of your faith. I'm going to stop there. That's the beginning of verse 4. Since we heard of your faith. This is, the, again, he's saying, we know something happened. I've heard about your faith, and I give thanks to God. And we're going to find out some other reasons why it was so important to be giving thanks to God about their faith. But, but notice that he says, we heard of your faith. How did he hear about it? You don't hear about somebody's faith who keeps their faith hidden in the closet. You don't hear about somebody's faith who never lets their faith, I'm just living in sin and God's grace is sufficient for me and someday I'll get over this sin and I'll just, you know, that's, that's sloppy grace. That's not grace. The grace is, oh God, I'm trapped and only you can forgive me, help me. And we're doing everything, we're praying, we're doing everything we can to remove ourselves from those situations, not just saying, well, you know, God, God will forgive me. We need the truth of the, of the grace, and we need to find it in the Word of God. The truth of grace. And the church at Colossae began to know that, and it began to change their life, and their life began to bear fruit. How's your fruit? How's my fruit? Are we bearing fruit in our life? Fruit will begin to come out of a life that's submitted and growing and understanding the grace of God. You can't muster it up. You can't cause fruit to bear from your life. But as you submit to the Lord, as you know Him and walk in that grace and understand, the fruit will begin to come. And people will begin to say, you began to bear fruit the moment you received it. If, if, you're, if there is no fruit in your life, if there has been no fruit of change, maybe you never really received the whole gospel. Maybe you didn't really receive it because it comes with understanding that we need to repent and turn away from our sin. It comes with an understanding that we in our own strength cannot do it, that we have to rely on the Lord and His strength and His grace to do it. And those are hard revelations to come to. Coming to this church is a wonderful thing to do, but if we don't receive the full gospel and understanding, then we're never going to bear fruit. We have to receive it. on verse 7 it says as you also learn from Epaphras our dear fellow servant who is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf Epaphras went back and he was ministering to Paul again he was teaching them they were sitting under his teaching and he was teaching and discipling them we need to be sitting under people who will teach and help us to grow in these things and then we ourselves need to be teaching and helping others to grow in grace and in the knowledge of grace. Verse 8 says, Who also declared to us your love in the Spirit. We talked about that a minute ago. Wow. Paphras gets back and says, Listen, Paul, they received the gospel. They repented and they, they received Jesus as the Messiah. But not only that, God has done something in their lives. And there's an amount of love happening in and through them that is just amazing. The Spirit, nothing short of the Spirit of God has transformed their lives and they're able to love one another. Isn't that a great report? Wow. You know, I, I just believe that, that God created us so magnificently that at times, outside of His empowering, we can do things. Because you see it done 
all the time. There are some people, they're just good people. They have an ability to do things. I don't ever want to get confused for someone like that. I want the testimony to be nobody can love like that because it's God in him. I don't want to just be accused of being a good man. I want things in me to say there's a supernatural thing happening inside of him that can only be explained by the indwelling God that lives inside of him. That's our goal. In other words, we die and he lives. Sounds familiar. That's what we want. And, and Epaphras brought that report back. He says, they have love in the spirit. You know, without my glass, I can't see the clock. So we're just going to go. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure some of you will remind me, right? Galatians 5.22 talks about the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is not the empowerment, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's another lesson. That's not what he's talking about. The fruit of the Spirit is the Spirit, the Holy Spirit that indwells every believer when they're saved. Every believer has the Spirit of God indwelt in them. And, and the fruit of the Spirit is just allowing the Spirit inside of us to have His way in our life. And as we do that, what happens? The fruit of the Spirit is the love, the joy, and the peace, the kindness, and the goodness, and long-suffering, gentleness, self-control. That's the fruit of the Spirit, but it's available to everybody who's trusted in the Lord Jesus. But we have to die and allow that Spirit to begin to reign in our lives and let the fruit of that indwelling Spirit live out in us. Let's go to verse 9. We're making our way through. Now, if you've got the uh, the new King James, you've got a new, uh, new heading here. It says the preeminence of Christ. But in verse 9, it says, For this reason, we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. What happened? Something big causes them to pray without ceasing for this reason. All of these things that we've just talked about is causing them to say, listen, because this happened, we're praying for you now without ceasing. They knew God's grace and they had the love of the Spirit. These two incredibly life-changing, world-changing reasons. They knew epinosis, epigenosis. They really knew the grace of God and the love of the Spirit. When you know the grace of God firsthand, not about the grace of God, it's one thing to say, yes, the grace of God will cover every sin. The grace of God is wonderful. That's not knowing intimately God's grace. Knowing it firsthand says, the grace of God covered my sin. 
And he took it away when he shouldn't have. Because there was nothing good in me. I know my heart and my heart was not good. But his grace came and he found me and he poured his love on me. And when you know that grace and it transforms you from the inside out. And you allow the spirit of God to rise up in you and give you an ability to love others. Then you'll be a world changer. And people need to pray because the enemy wants to take that kind of knowledge of grace and that kind of love in the Spirit. He wants to take it out. So we pray for you that nothing will hinder it. We pray for you that you be protected from the attacks of the enemy. We pray for you that you'll make a difference in the world because these two things, to know them intimately and to walk in that love will change your life. It'll change the life of your family. It'll change the life of the people you come in contact with because who can argue and who can stand against the power of the grace of God in somebody's life. We pray for you since we heard about it. I'm going to save the next part because I don't want to change the theme. We're going to end on this because what a great way to end God. We need to know His grace not just about Him. We need to be filled with the Spirit and have that love for others. God's grace is available to every believer. God's grace is available to every unbeliever as they receive Him. I believe that we are the ones who hold the grace off because we say... I'm going to do it in my own strength. God, thanks for that offer. I'll take a little bit of it, but I'm going to show you that I can do this. Thanks for helping me up a little bit. And now I can get on. You know, you took a little bit of the weight off, and I'm going to show you my love. I'm going to prove that I can do this. We don't really consciously think that, but our actions really show that that's how we're living. You know, I'm really not... I'm, I know that God's got a lot of grace, but I'm really bad and I got to do something. I got to do something. And we hold that back. And we need to fall completely. The scripture says that those who fall on the rock will be broken. But those on whom the rock falls on will be crushed to pieces. Don't allow yourself to let the rock fall on you and crush you, but fall on him. Just fall on him. Be broken. Let Him take control. It's that ultimate example of trust that we do. You stand on a chair and you fall back. Do you trust the people around you? Fall on Jesus. Fall on Jesus fully. Stop trusting in yourself. Stop trying so hard. Let him, let him take it. Let him take you. Next week, we're going to begin to go, and, and, and I'm, I'm really excited about this because in the same verse, he begins to say, he prays to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding, and he lays out this heart for us, so don't miss it. 
We need to know His will for who wants to know the will of God for your life. So we're going to talk about what these things are. But the first part is we've got to fall on the grace and totally receive it. And say, God, I want to know. I want to epigenosis your grace. Make that a prayer. God, help me to know it more than I do now. Help me to understand it. Get some time this week where you can pray that prayer and sit in His presence. Ponder the Word of God and ponder His love and grace for you. And I encourage you to have a box of Kleenex ready because He's going to take you on. He might take you on a trip to where you, the brokenness begins to come and you understand His love and His grace for you. If it's been a while and you know that you had that experience, but but you go, you know, what happened? It's time to re-know it again. To get to know it again. God, this week, help us to know your grace. To really know it intimately. Help us to, to die to ourself that you would live in us. The Spirit of God would be that which leads me and guides me. That others would see your Spirit in my life, the Spirit of love, the Spirit of peace. And that I would know more and more your grace. God, that I'd know it through your Word, and I'd know it firsthand and understand what you've done for me and receive it fully. God, I pray that we would, in that knowledge, become changers, even world changers, as the grace of God and the love of the Spirit is manifest in our life. Thank you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you're not in a life group, it's a great week to get involved in one. So on the back wall there. Oh, it's oh, let's go. Oh, sorry. Okay, put it away. Oh,